Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to the Near and Queer to My Heart podcast. I'm your host, Amanda G. We have such a great episode for y'all today. I'm so excited to bring you this interview with Didi Onassis, who's amazing singer, drag queen, extraordinaire, theater. She does it all. But before we bring Didi, just a few things. Myself and Han Calger from a previous episode are starting a stand-up show in New Orleans. We're going to be having queer headliners do this show, a chance for queer comedians to come to New Orleans. If they're in New Orleans, to give them a chance to really stretch out their material and do all the great shit that we've been working so hard on. Our first one is September 26th. It's a Thursday, 8 p.m. Hi-Ho Lounge on St. Claude. We have Jeff D. And Jeff D's been on the podcast before. He's about to release an album. He just headlined in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He's awesome. Come check him out. And then in November, we have Jen Snyder, who's also been on this podcast. She's about to film for Amazon Prime. We're so excited that everybody's coming together, guests from this podcast, queer comedians from all over the place. And we're so happy to bring that. So check that out. You can find more information at Hi-Ho Lounge New Orleans on their Facebook page uh, or our Near and Queer to My Heart Facebook page. Now back to our guest. I'm so excited. Didi and I, like we've known each other We've uh, hung out in the same circles, but we've never really sat down and talked. So this was such a cool, intimate experience. I went over to Dee Dee's. Dee Dee has the cutest dog and cat. We're going to throw some pictures up on our social media so y'all can swoon. Adorable. Amazing. We were worried because her dog was so excited. Uh, the whole time we were recording, the dog just wanted to be a part of the podcast. Um, and we were worried that the sound would kind of bleed in. It didn't really, though. I guess our microphones worked out okay. Uh, but we still want to include the dog. So, uh, Clyde? If you're out there, thank you for wanting to be a part of the podcast. We'll put you on our social media. Don't worry. When the episode's over, stay tuned. We have a special song from Dee Dee. This is a song where she is talking shit about Melania Trump. Yeah, we did it. We put it on our podcast. Come on, Trump. Tweet at us. Block us from Twitter. Whatever you do. Uh, And it's going to be fun. And we're so happy to have her. So let's do it. Dee Dee Onassis, y'all. dealt with pets before on this podcast absolutely yeah that's why i have a a room in my house where i record in mm-hmm. and the cats they know when you're in there and they're all outside the door just meowing just right like, like y'all don't care what i do any other time of the day except the one time i'm like you just need to be quiet for 45 mm-hmm. minutes and they're like oh that's the 45 minutes that we have saved up our voices mm-hmm. for like I'm, I'm also thinking about just like swaddling him for a little while so he's like <laughs> Aww. You know, he's so cute. What is he like? Five pounds? He's like a nine pounder. Oh wow, yeah. he's 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 got a little meat on his bones. Yeah, I just took my youngest cat to the vet, and he's twelve point two pounds. And the vet was like, he needs to lose weight. Mm-hmm. And I was like, 
he's 12.2 pounds as a cat i think that's fine right i tell them all the time because i have another Mm -hmm. cat that's like 17 pounds i'm like they were all abandoned like we save them they're rescues they don't like when there's not food in the bowl i free feed them i'm not putting them on a diet like we're just gonna let them go and they'll be happy sometimes a cat's a little thick there's not a ton (laughs) to do in a house you know yeah and there's there's cats where like no matter what you do they're just gonna be big cats you're Mm -hmm. like i don't even know how you possibly did this but here we are here we are and you're happy so Didi Onassis. That's me. How you doing? I'm doing great. How are you, Amanda? I'm good. Thanks so much for doing the podcast. I've seen you do so many, like when I first saw you, so you do Showstoppers as a monthly show mm-hmm. that's based kind of around musicals and is, mm-hmm. does it have a, is that what it ends up being or is that what it was planned to be? Um, It's just sort of a loose variety theme. I like to build it around, you know, a different word or concept every month. I'm a musical theater person, so I usually bring that in myself. But I have all kinds of things happening in that show. I've got drag. I've got burlesque. There's live music. I've had sideshow before. I've never had a comic, but maybe sometime (laughs) soon. All right. Um, I know how to stop a show. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, uh, I love doing that show. I've... In its third year now. Oh, wow. Congratulations. mm -hmm. Thank you. That was one of the first drag shows that I saw in New Orleans, and it just floored me that there was just so much talent, and I'm just here at the Always, and I just get to experience this. But I know you sing. I know you do drag. Are there Mm -hmm. any other types of performances that you do? Publicly. Publicly? (laughs) Um, No. So I'm a a drag performer. I'm a singer. Um, I did minor in ballet as an undergraduate, but I don't dance that much these days because I'm kind of old and my bones are out of shape. (laughs) Just, uh, yeah, singer and drag performer. I've acted now and then. My background is in musical theater. That's what I did all through growing up. You know, that was my genre. That was my way of expressing myself and exploring my artistry. And then I sort of uh, stopped for a while near the end of high school. I just sort of, you know, it it was getting frustrating going on on auditions and knowing that I had this talent, but I wasn't right for any part. I even had a theater mentor at the time be like, there just aren't parts for boys like you. What do they mean by that? Femme faggot, you know, like in 2000, 2005, 2006, when I was wrapping up high school, it was a different kind of world, you know? So I stopped for a while, um, and I also had in the back of my mind, you know, I grew up a little bourgeois, and I was always like, oh, this is a fun playtime thing for me to do, but at some point I've got to, like, be a grown-up and go to law school. (laughs) So I was uh, majoring in journalism as an undergrad and, you know, kind of expressing myself more through writing. I did pick up another minor in creative writing. I did a summer program in Paris between my junior and senior year of college. (laughs) Yes. Um, Of course you went to Paris. Of course I did. Um, And while I was there, I was just like, I don't want to go to law school. So I ended up moving to San Francisco for four years. I got an MFA in creative writing and I'm not writing so much these days, but I think I'm going too soon. I've got ideas of things I want to do. I told you this a little earlier. I'm not writing for this, but I am doing my first one woman show, but it's like, um, we can talk about it more in a minute, but I also want to do another show down the line where I actually write it from beginning to end. So a little different direction for me. Where are you from? I'm from here. I was born in Metairie and I grew up in a charming little ashtray of a town called Destrahan. <laughs> um, I usually ask people to describe the towns they're from, but you that was great. Yeah, it was... Um, Succinct to the point, and I've been there, so yes. Wasn't... I, I don't want to malign the town because, I, I, you know, you don't want to speak too ill of the place you're from, but it was not the... It's a very conventional sort of place in a lot of ways, and I was not just 
obviously gay. I was gay and weird. You know, I had my friends, but you know, I got the hell out of there as soon as I could. And my folks don't live there anymore. So I have no reason to go back. Thank goodness. Lucky you. (laughs) That's the dream when like you leave and your parents are like, we're done. So we're leaving Mm -hmm. too. And you're like, oh, we never have to go back here again. My folks live uh, in Gulf Shores, Alabama. And also visiting my folks means going to the beach. Oh, so what a problem. (laughs) Win-win. So, okay. So you grew up, dust your hand. Were you like out in high school or was it, you know... (laughs) Is that a, I know it's a complicated. That's complicated. Uh, like I said, my back, I, I was in theater and, you know, it, regardless of where you are, theater is kind of a queer space in a lot of ways. So like I had a lot of those cultural markers where people were able to make assumptions within and outside of theater, which, you know, that's all, that was a therapy conversation. But I guess I had the conversation with myself early in high school, like maybe 14, 15. And I think I started coming out to people when I was Seventeen. Oh wow. Mm-hmm. That's pretty early. Um, ish. Yeah. Some know. people. I know it's different now. I say that because I'm 36, and like for right. me, like coming out in high school before you like leave home to me mm-hmm. is early. But now yeah, it's like so. such a different world. Like we didn't even have like gay straight alliances. We didn't have any like like all these different things that are available now to the kids like weren't around when I was around. Uh, like when I was a kid, I always say like I wish I could do that part over where like I could just be in high school now where you could be out. I'm mm-hmm. like that would just change my fucking world. You and me both, sister. Uh, sometimes I do think about that. Like, if you'd come out earlier, would you have been in a better place now? And I think I'm in a very good place now in a lot of ways, but it was uh, a uh, rocky road. It's a longer journey for us because mm-hmm. we had all these societal things. And, and I'll talk with you a little bit about this because I think musicals are a whole different world. I also will put a pin in this, but I want to ask you about the musical Cats. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. I, I consider myself a musical person. I've never seen Cats. I love Cats. Like, the animals cats but in a lot of shows i've been watching recently and just would talk with musical theater people they all like diss cats as a musical but now they're redoing it with taylor swift so i'm sure you have opinions on that i got things to say (laughs) sure actually let's not put a pin in that let's Let's just just talk about cats let's just get right to it babe we're gonna be late for cats Um, do you watch uh, unbreakable kimmy schmidt i do you saw the season where titus just joins cats and everyone was like how did you know how to do this everyone (laughs) this is how you get in cats you don't try out you just put a costume on show up make some cat noises and you're in i would absolutely believe that uh (laughs) cats was never one of the musicals i really connected with i was you know my skill was really as a singer and Cats as a dancer's show. And it's an ensemble-based show. There aren't a lot of... Like, there are a bunch of characters who get their, like, well, I'm Rum Tum Tugger, the curious cat, you know, and Grizabella the glamour cat and all of that. But, like, they're not... For me, they weren't... With the exception of Grizabella, they weren't really, like, psychological studies. It was just these character moments. And I just never really connected with it. I have lots of friends who love the show. I have lots of friends who hate the show. I just am like, I'm glad it exists because the dancing's beautiful, but it's just not a show I ever really uh, had strong feelings about either way. I do think it's, you know, it was the 80s. Cocaine is a hell of a drug. (laughs) Um, A lot of just strange shows were happening in that decade. And Cats is one of them. Like, who would think to read a T.S. Eliot poem about Cats and be like, that's a Broadway musical. Andrew Lloyd Webber, obviously. Cocaine would. Cocaine would. As for the movie, I think the CG effects look absurd. I think that probably Dame Judy Dench and Sir Ian McHelen were on the set of that movie, just like getting high and like harassing the <laughs> chorus boys. 
I feel bad for Jennifer Hudson, Oscar Winifer, Oscar Winifer, <laughs> Oscar winner Jennifer Hudson with her beautiful chin being cut out of the cat face. And that's why she looks so strange. Taylor Swift, great gowns, beautiful gowns. I intend to see it in theaters while very high uh, is how I'm going to get through that movie experience. They got you, right? But they, oh, they got me. I'm going to so go see like, it. I'm definitely going to go see it. <laughs> Obviously, I'm going to see it. What's your, do you have a, is this a weird question to ask your favorite musical or top three? Because I hate when people ask me, like, who's my favorite comedian? And I'm like, it depends on my mood. It depends on, really you know, does. am I sad and I need to cry it out, but like do it to a musical so that I'm not just crying? Or am I like in a good mood and I'm ready to go out dancing and I want like a, you know, My Fair Lady, I could have danced all night moment. Like, yeah. Favorite musical, favorite mul- musicals? I'm huge Sondheim trash. Patti LuPone once called him the genius of the American theater. And I think that really is true. I think that I have really deep feelings about both Into the Woods and Sunday in the Park with George, even though the film adaptation of Into the Woods was hot trash. Disney did what they did, as they always do. Yes. Took out anything about that show that had that had its teeth and its grit and made it as magical as it is. I don't know if you've ever seen... Um, there's there was like a, a PBS masterpiece theater recording of it with the original Broadway cast with Bernadette Peters as the witch. Oh. You know, it's I have the DVD. I'll lend it to you. Yeah, oh, definitely. Um, one of my first Broadway musicals I saw was Annie Get Your Gun mm-hmm. with Bernadette Peters, and she Ugh. blew me. I didn't know. She, my parents were like, my mom was like, you have to go. We have to go. I was like, I don't know who Bernadette Peters is. I don't know what Annie Get Your Gun is. And then I was like, this is she's amazing. She should win everything all the time. My drag name was all, almost Bernadette Lupone. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> I just didn't feel like the right time for that sort of moniker for a multitude of reasons. Uh, there, there was another performer in my cycle of the drag workshop who uh, their final lip sync was to the Patti Lapone Rose's turn from Gypsy. Mm. And I was just like, well, I can't step on the Lapone beat. For those of you wondering what that skittering mm. sound is, my dog keeps running back and forth because he's too excited to have people here. Yes, and he also has opinions about cats. So. Absolutely. <laughs> and his opinion is, eh, <laughs> don't eat my food. What about, is Bernadette Peter, is that a name for a drag queen? Is Bernadette that too Peter? easy? Is that too that easy? That might be too easy, I think. I forget who it was the other night. Someone came up with the drag king named Papa Tulis. <laughs> <sighs> I love it. The genius of the American theater. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, favorite musicals are probably like Into the Woods, Sunday in the Park with George. Uh, what other musicals do I love? Um, I think I had a real soft spot for The Secret Garden, and I'm glad that they're going to revise it. I think it's a really beautiful show in a lot of ways, especially because, you know, it, well, yeah, God, it would have been 91, I think it was on Broadway. And it was the first Broadway show where the writer of the book, the writers of the score, and the director were all women. Um, 91? That's mm-hmm. pretty impressive. Yeah. I read that book as a kid. It was one of the books. My I had a really nice edition of it. And my mm-hmm. mom was like, take good care of it. And I was like almost scared to read it, you know? But it was so good. Yeah. The movie, too. I cried my eyes out. Like, that show, though, like even the set design was like a, it was like a big dollhouse almost. And... Uh, Oh, 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 oh. John Cameron Mitchell was the, in the original Broadway cast. He was Dickon, the like, oh, yeah. like little farm aid. I just remember, mm-hmm. and Mandy Patinkin was Archibald Crane. I have a soft spot for that show. <laughs> I think it's really beautiful. I If I play trivia, I'm going to bring you for musicals. <coughs> because you're, oh, absolutely. <laughs> you're not, you know everything. This mm-hmm. is great. I was like, I, I think I know a little bit. I'm a Gemini, so we know a little bit about oh, a lot of things. We're both Geminis. So, okay, so you know. So you're like, I could talk about the sports ball or whatever. Just enough. My brother's a basketball coach, so I do know <laughs> three things probably. <laughs> 
Have you ever moved to New York or thought about moving to New York? I've actually that... never been to New York. Really? It just never happened. Um, That's this Broadway... I, I keep meaning to go up. It just never happens. I do a lot of West Coast trips more than anything. Like I said, I lived in San Francisco for a few years. I have a lot of friends in Los Angeles. So usually if I'm taking a trip to another part of the country, it's California. But yeah, I need to get up to New York at some point. I uh, I don't know if I could live there. I... You know, I, I'm a hustler in a lot of ways, but I think that city calls for so much hustle that I feel like my ability to make art would suffer. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I. Uh, so I grew up in L.A. I went to the Bay Area for college. I lived in New York for law school, and then I moved down here. Coming from those places and then and then moving to New Orleans is a whole different experience mm-hmm. than being here and then leaving here for that. You know, it's like I lived in like, a, it was a two bedroom apartment with three of us we made the living room into a bed you know like we had that one bathroom like the whole all of that stuff winter's bullshit and i don't recommend it to anybody that didn't grow up with winter i slipped and fell so many times and nobody fucking helps you like it's a terrible thing but coming from that to new orleans where it's like i have so much space and Mm -hmm. you don't have to work as hard and everything is easy to get around and it's cheaper and you can pursue your art and new orleans New Orleans has this really cool, I don't even want to say counterculture, but this like with, with the drag and with comedy and even like improv and theater, you know, we have in Fringe Fest, we have all these different things that are supported by the city, like all these mm-hmm. really cool, like, you can have an idea of like, I'm going to take drag and mix it with, you know, circus. Right. Great. We're going to do it, you know, and, and it has support. It's a really good, like one of the last good bastions for Bohemia, as we think of it, that has its pros and its cons obviously there's so much i love and most of it is what you said i but i'm also like can we be on time for things sometimes <laughs> no y'all can you like i don't know like just you know just like uh do a, like a little more work just a, like just push yourself just a little bit more and like can we just can we like do like a little more you know you just have to trick people so i, oh, I, I always have, do yeah i have queer mountain i i really want to start it by eight so i start the show at 7 30 mm-hmm. and uh we end up starting it by eight yeah otherwise perfect. it would not start till 8 39 mm-hmm. have you ever started a show on time here i think the only show i started on time i did a show for tennessee williams fest last year and i think that one actually started on time because it was an actual theater company as opposed to like our like scrappy cabaret comedy producers and audiences <laughs> who you know you say the show's at nine and they show up at nine twenty and they're already drunk yeah. you know oh it's fun <laughs> so you did the drag workshop i did i was cycle five cycle five was that with quinn larue it was me quinn frankie holden doves antibacterial smokestack lightning oh yeah also smokestack's that cycle. Awesome. so it was it was a good little cycle like a good group I'm just like having like a brain fart trying to remember everyone who was in there. Right oh, now. I can't keep track at all. Like right. I, I know you know if people did the workshop. I don't know what unless they were in lashes, you know, a cycle because I knew them while they were doing it. I can't keep track of who was in what cycle. Right. Do you think? Do you think there's too much drag in New Orleans? Not enough drag? The right amount of drag? I think I am a tricky person to ask that question just because I am a little bit removed from the scene. It's rare that I'm doing a traditional drag show. It's usually like a cabaret show, or I'm doing like uh, the Shrimp Boil at Mr. Gregory's, or I'm emceeing a burlesque show. It's very rare that I'm in what you would think of as a drag show, just because it's very rare that I do lip sync. I mostly do live music, and not every producer, you know, has a place in their lineup for that, which is absolutely fine. I don't have a problem with that. So it's hard for me to give you like a state of the union on the <laughs> amount of drag in the city. I think if I could give any caution is 
don't try to produce right away. Give yourself a year or so to like figure out how to be this new performer before you try to start mounting your own projects. I think some of the newer kids just like want to dive in head first and it's like there's there's a learning curve here and there are things you can learn. Get that on the job experience before you just decide you're going to like run your own shit. Also, don't spread yourself. T- I'm speaking from a comedy perspective. Mm-hmm. Don't spread like don't spread yourself too thin. I know it's like you start doing com- like with comedy. It's like your goal at first is to get a good five minute set. Then your goal is to get a good ten minute set. Then a twenty. Then a thirty. Then an hour. And you, you know that's your ultimate goal is to have an hour special that you can shop around or a half hour special you could shop around. But a lot of people are like, okay, I got ten solid minutes. Now I should run three shows and I should you know be traveling around to other cities doing shows. And then they get burned out or people get tired of that because they're not spending time on the art versus the producing side. I think there is a balance you can achieve with that. Because you, do you run any other shows other than Showstoppers? Uh, I have Showstoppers as a monthly producing wise. Like I know you've done some like you and Vincentos did. We like, did Best in Show last yeah. year. We might do that again this year. But uh, as a producer, nothing regular. Every now and then I have a one-off. I don't. Do you know uh, Ashley Rose Bailey? Mm-hmm. She and I are talking about starting a new series, but we're in the very early stages of talking about that. Where it really is more musical theater focused, but that's early. And me producing two shows at once, I'm like, that's my limit. Like yeah. I can't do more than that. <laughs> you mean you didn't have one meeting and then booked it always, and right. <laughs> you have a show next week? <laughs> uh, for me, I like to really give a thought to like format what's it gonna be like what's the audience like who are the people i'm gonna be reaching out to to cast because like showstoppers for example i think a lot of people don't know how i book that show but what it really is is if i like your performance i'm just like hey can i have your email address and i have like a listserv where every month i'm like hey here's the theme you have a week to send me an idea of the 70 something people on that list usually 20 of them respond and then i pick my favorite seven and i really try to structure it as a show where acts speak to each other where it's like oh this will bleed nicely into this this reflects this yeah where it's like almost a story being told which is the way my brain works like i'm someone who likes to go and have a story or like an emotional journey there are a ton of other ways to do it but that's the way my brain works yeah so. that's you run your show the way you want mm-hmm. to so you graduate high school destrohan where'd you go to college i went to loyola university in new orleans okay so you move out on, were you in the dorms? I was in the dorms. Uh, my folks were close enough I could go home for like a weekend to do laundry if I needed to. But, you know, I was on campus a lot, which is, it's so funny to think about in retrospect because I kind of get made fun of now because I'm like, I don't cross canal for less than $100. And I used to live uptown. <laughs> Those were good years, honestly. Loyola was kind to me. I liked, you know, it was a good experience. I There were things I wish I'd taken more advantage of while I was there because it's a school with some really good resources. And I think just didn't utilize them the way I could have. Because like in retrospect, I'm like, what if you'd like studied theater and learned how finances work? (laughs) (laughs) That's what I I think everyone should be, not just a like economics class, like a personal finances class. Like even though checkbooks aren't a thing, we should all have to take a class where you have to balance a checkbook and we have to understand how a budget works. Because when I was 18, I I had no idea. I was given money at the beginning of the semester and I prayed that it made it till the end of the semester. And that was my life. No, I'm right there with you. I had a really good conversation with Precious Ephemera a few months ago. We got coffee and it was just like, you need to like 
change your relationship with money. Cause like, I'm seeing you like, she was like, I'm seeing you and I, I know that the money is coming in and you just don't know what to do with it. And I'm like, that's exactly correct. So since that conversation, I've gotten better, like setting a budget and following it, thinking about how much things actually cost. <laughs> I'm not quite to the point where I'm reopening my safe. Cause I used to have a savings account and I blew through that. I'm not to the point of reopening a savings account yet, but it's a conversation I need to have with myself this year. I know you're like in the moment, but like think about the future, kid. Yeah. The fact that you're even willing to like, you're like, okay, I know this conversation needs to happen. That's a great step. Mm-hmm. That is. So finished college and did you go right to San Francisco? Did you take some time off? Did you I travel? Did. did you? I went right to San Francisco. I got off. Let's see. I think I flew into SFO and I'd never been to California before. And it was like mid-August and I think I got off at the 16th and Mission BART station with my two bags, not knowing any. Like, I think that first weekend while I was apartment hunting, I stayed I stayed with one of my uncle's friends and I just didn't know anyone. I was just like, well, I'm going to start this new chapter because I'm pretty good at being able to be like, okay, I don't know anyone or anything, but my only option is to figure it out. So I like, and I think a lot of performers are like this where they're just like, okay, my only option is to do it. Other people are like, no, you could just stay home. And it's like, but why? Why San Francisco? It appealed to me to try something completely different than what I'd been doing. At that point, I was, I was just like dealing with some like personal shit that I was just like, I need a change of scene because if I don't change, like I'm going to get stuck. And I really was very passionate about writing at the time. It was, you know, it seemed like a really solid program and a chance for a fresh beginning. And I was like, let me go do that for a while. I will say in retrospect, kids, if you're thinking about grad school, there are less expensive ways for you to realize that you need therapy. (laughs) So just ask yourself that question because grad school is great. But ask yourself that question. Do I need to study something intensely or do I need to see a therapist? Like the other question I have to ask myself a lot is, does everyone secretly hate me or do I need to go to bed? And it's usually that I just need to go to bed. Yeah, because you can keep yourself up all night and then right. it's like, for what? Right. Why am I being this paranoid? Just go to sleep. Do you worry about that? Every now and then. I, You know, I am someone with an anxiety disorder. I tend to get these, I guess the best way to describe it is it's sort of like a... Uh, water spout like a funnel in my brain you know what I mean where Mm. I'm just like cycling downward 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 fixating on these two or three ideas or negative aspects and just like oh god oh god everything's broken everything's ruined I'm gonna be terrible forever and I, I get better at managing it the older I get you know you have your toolkit from cognitive behavioral therapy and there's also just that aspect of like I have been through worse than this and I am you know I I just need to take a breath and take a step back and like reevaluate what I'm fixating on and why it's upsetting me and also give words to what I am feeling instead of just letting it consume and control me. Yeah. You know, that's a whole nother kettle of fish. <laughs> Do you mind talking about like when you first went to therapy and, oh, you know, okay. I can talk about that. I, yeah. I mean, I'm always interested because I think so when I was in high school, I convinced my parents, both of who will listen to this. Mine will too. Hi, parents. Yes. Hello. <laughs> but I convinced them both that I needed to go to therapy, mostly because I was obsessed with Allie McBeal and she went to therapy. So I was like, well, <laughs> Obviously, like, I need therapy because I just, I wanted to be like Allie McBeal. I wanted to be a lawyer and live in a city and have a roommate and go to the bar downstairs where they just sing songs and get drunk. And then they go back and have these wacky fun cases because all their cases were like really silly ones. And so I convinced them to take me to therapy and I went to therapy and it was this older lady and she basically just saw this like white girl, you know, in high school being like, oh, my friends, well, you know, and she was like, you're fine. You don't need therapy. After two mm-hmm. sessions was like, you don't need therapy anymore. And then I was like, I took that with me for a very long uh... time. 
because I was like, well, I went. I like went to therapy at a time when like I had to fight my parents to do it. And then I was told I was fine. So I never need therapy. So I didn't know if, you know, I'm always interested in people's journeys to to go because I'm actually considering right now. I'm not in therapy right now and I have an aversion to it at mm-hmm. this moment and I'm trying to figure out why and I think part of it is just stubbornness that like I'm fine I don't need help and I think part of it is that like when I did go and I was willing to be vulnerable I was shut down mm. so I'm always interested in people's journeys for that because it's hopefully different than mine well for me it was a little later in life this I was probably 24 or 25 I was living in California and I was just you know I was it was this like um like I, I'm still not super comfortable in crowds like I don't do well in crowds but it was getting really bad like not agoraphobia level but it would be like if I knew I was going to a crowded place I would be intentionally like half an hour late just to make sure somebody I knew would already be there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and other things like that were, like, being in a loud room, I'd have to, like, remove myself because it was triggering me and I didn't realize it, but I would need to, like, go lock myself in a bathroom for a while. And eventually this added up and added up and added up, and I think it was over a Christmas holiday, like, I just pulled my parents aside and I was like, I think I need to see someone. I'm not doing okay. Because for me, so much of the way I felt and reacted to things I assumed was the way everyone was doing, but everyone had a better handle on it than me. And through the therapy experience, because like, I'm not currently in therapy. I am interested in going back in because you know, you got to tune up a car every 10,000 miles. Mm -hmm. But the aversion for me right now is having to shop around because the first time I really lucked out, the first woman I saw was just like, she was this like, older, second wave feminist, San Francisco hippie lady with finding your inner goddess books and like wind chimes. And I was like, uh, this is right up my alley. But like, it was just wild to like, let myself be like, vulnerable and think about things that I'd spent a long time, like either refusing to think about or downplaying to myself. Or I don't know if you have this experience, but I would there were certain stories I'd told and in telling them they became comedies, but then I would say them in the therapist's office and I'd realize just how fucked up they were where it was like, wow, that's, that's actually really not good. Like that's kind of traumatic. Cause that's what you want to do. You want to make it okay. So you want to make it funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've had um, in one of the last episodes, I'm not sure when this one's going to come out, uh, but I told a story about some guy I went on a date with who took his dick out in a movie theater. Like we just got to the theater and all of a sudden there's his dick. And I like, and I used to tell it to my friends as this like funny thing, but I'm like, that's fucked up. Like yeah. the whole thing was like really bad. And obviously if I'm still talking about it 15 years later, it was, you know, pretty traumatizing, but I immediately turned it into a joke and was like, what a piece of shit. And oh, mm-hmm. you know, man, and blah 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 and it's just like but that's there's more to it than that but I was like that was my way of taking control of it absolutely and I, I think that is the safety mechanism is to what what is it it's the comedy is just tragedy plus time something mm-hmm. like that and I really had to relearn that in a lot of ways and view some things through a different lens and that was really painful in a lot of ways and led to some really difficult conversations both with myself and with people in my life where I where I'd have to be like so I'm remembering this this way and I just want to make sure it actually happened that way and that I'm not making this up and almost every time I was like yeah that happened so like are you okay you know I don't don't want to get it too into detail with certain things but like you know it would just um it's good that you were able to confront you know the situation and and actually mm -hmm. ask those questions because those are hard questions to ask and it is much easier to compartmentalize them or sweep them under a rug in your brain and be like yeah it's probably not how I'm thinking of it so and I also recognize that I am privileged and fortunate in a lot of ways I have two very supportive parents it was a long road (laughs) you know for us to get to where we are but they're both 
great people who support me. I love them both very much. They've been to some of my shows. Like, they're great. They're great people. And pretty much anytime I was like, I need to talk about this, they would like listen and be patient with me and give their side of things if it was something involving one of them. And it was often really illuminating to get that other side of a story that I'd been sitting on for a long time. Yeah. You know? I love this word. I'm going to say it anyway because I know society now is taking it, but it's very brave. Mm-hmm. I like the word brave, but a lot of people, you know, it's kind of like, oh, you're so brave. For, like the, I feel like the meaning in, in society and the way, you know, uh, like Amy Schumer has a whole joke that right. she did, I think it was Vanity Fair, and people were telling her how brave she was to do Vanity Fair in like a bikini. Mm-hmm. And it's like, if it's brave, it's brave. It doesn't take away from that. Right. And I don't I don't mind that word. I hate... Once my therapist called me that and I had a meltdown. Like, I was just sobbing because she called me brave. And she was like, what is wrong with that word? And I was like, it's a stupid word. Bravery is stupid. Why would someone want to be brave that's putting yourself in danger? Why would you do... Like, really had a full meltdown about this in this woman's office. But one thing that she and my mother both had in common is they were big Brene Brown fans. And one of my favorite talks that Brene Brown gave she because I'm a word person at the end of the day. I love words. I love learning where words came from. Brene Brown talks about courage as a concept and how courage comes from the French word cœur, meaning heart. So when we talk about courage, it's not like some idiot putting themselves in danger. We have to think about courage as strength of the heart. So I, I really like to approach it that way where it's like, I'm not putting myself in danger. I'm trusting my heart right now to have these difficult conversations, to face up to my personal history, to exist as a human being in a world that kind of sucks a lot of the time, you know? Yeah. I think we're all courageous for getting out of bed in the morning. Oh, absolutely. I like that. I like the, I didn't know that about the word courage. Yeah. So it has that deeper, yeah, it's like, oh, I want to go skydive out of a plane. You're so brave. Like, you know, you have so much courage. That's not necessarily what that is, you know? That could be for some people. That could be a way of them overcoming their fears Mm -hmm. i guess it was dd onassis was that i'm gonna talk about your name yeah since i've met you and since before i met you since i heard your name i'm like i love it i love it but was that the first drag name that you arrived on and how did you arrive on that and what does it mean to you i ask multi-layered questions because i forget things and now you have to remember them well i'll do my best (laughs) to remember that so the story of how I ended up in the workshop because before that I'd been working as a boylesque performer. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. uh, I think my first show would have been Xena Zeitgeist does this Harry Potter show every year. And I've been Voldemort every time because, you know, Voldemort does defying gravity, obviously. Yes. So courageous. But, you know, I'd been working as quote unquote Stevie Poundcake, RIP. He doesn't really get to see the light of day much these days. But I'd been working that way for like a year. And I was like, I really want to try this drag workshop thing. It looks fun. Because I went to the cycle four draguation. I was like, that looked fun. I want to try that. And, you know, I went in through the interview process. And the big concerns we talked about were, my worry was like, am I going to be a pretty girl? And then the concern... The other concern was after seeing me as this Stevie Poundcake character who was always kind of like goofy and really good at playing dumb and like this, that, and the other, like, how are we going to differentiate from mm. that? So I went in going like, okay, she's got to be like older than I am. She's going to be kind of like haughty and like cool and standoffish and just a real, you know, at this point, I like to say that uh, I am your stepmother who married your wealthy father for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> Um, so I knew going in, I wanted to have like a, na- like a last name, like Onassis, where it's this like really like, cause my family's Greek. So I wanted this like wealthy Greek name. And then Didi came from, I was like, well, I, I, I liked the name Theodora for a first name. Uh, she was this, uh, empress of the Eastern Roman empire. She started her life as like an illiterate actress 
courtesan slave. Like she was famous for doing this. Lita and the Swan Act. Lita was uh, this um, nymph. I think, and uh, Zeus impregnated her by coming to her as a swan. So Theodora would do this act with a swan, and it was naked and sexy. And of course, like wealthy men would pay to fuck her. But eventually, she caught the emperor's eye, Justinian, and he married her, and she was crowned as God's chosen queen. And uh, the men who used to pay to fuck her had to bow before her throne. And I was like, that's a great name. I want. That name. But I was also like, drunk white girls won't be able to say Theodora Onassis. <laughs> so I shortened it to Dee Dee because I was also like, well, if she is this wealthy Greek woman, she's going to try to anglicize herself a little bit, you know? So that was the thought process there. So one of the things I love when I see a Dee Dee Onassis show is you have these sharp one-liners mm-hmm. that are like comedy gold and they're just like, do you write those ahead of time? Do you freestyle on stage? Because sometimes you're talking shit with the audience. You know, someone's like being mm-hmm. loud, like you'll go up to them and just say the funniest thing that'll just shut them right down. There, There is an element. Some things are, I would say it's about 50-50, about half or like things where I think of it and I write it down. But a lot of times things do come to me in the moment. Um, and I think I come from a funny family like we're we're we are people who use comedy a lot to like dazzle and distract from like i'm hurting real bad right now um you know and we're just quick thinking funny people and i kind of come from that sort of background so i would say it's about 50 50 writing versus in the moment sometimes i say something in the moment and i even surprise myself and i'm like where'd that come from <laughs> like that was great who wrote that, was, that? who was that where'd that who was that yeah i guess if the question is process because I'm, I'm one of those assholes who loves to talk process doesn't make you an asshole i love <laughs> i love talking process because i think that's that's such an important part that number one i think some people don't do enough of i think it's important to also get ideas about from what other people do for their process uh so i guess for me when it's the idea of process like for example i do have a regular set i do uh, that's about like an hour of music and for me organizing that set again was about crafting a story like one woman's story so it starts with this like really like mm, i'm this like uh the opening song is um sooner or later it's a stephen sondheim song for dick tracy the movie madonna sang it it won the oscar for best song um so it starts with this one who's like a real babe in control of everything and then there's like this streak of like doubt and heartbreak and then this streak of like settling but knowing there could be more and then there's this streak of like hope and like maybe i'll try something different and then it ends real showy and kablam so i at least once a week, I just like to listen to that set list from beginning to end and reacquaint myself with these character moments and think of them each, you know, as their individual story, but as also this one woman's journey. Because again, that's just the way my brain works. Do you learn, have you picked up anything from someone else's process that you're like, now I do this, like from someone that's your role model or somebody that you've seen in New Orleans or? Mm, I mean, I do take inspiration from a lot of people where they pull something where I'm like, I could never do that, but that's genius. How can I adapt that? Like I look at, you know, I mean, they're my buds, but like Siren and Frankie and Tarot Cards are just such incredible performers. And sometimes they pull something and I'm like, okay, how do I do something similar to that? But like me, <laughs> you know, cause I'm not going to like steal it, but I'm just like, that was a move. Yeah. I love a power move, you know? And Dee Dee is such a unique, you know, like Dee Dee has a personality that shines through at all times. So you want to keep, you want to keep true to that. Right. It's walking this very fine line of that, you know, really aristocratic, haughty character with my, because I have that very like awkward, offbeat Mm. sense of humor. And I sort of let them bleed together the more time goes on. Yeah. So that she does have this airhead moment now and then. She does get to have this like 
make those unexpected connections where you're like, why would she think of that? <laughs> you know? I like too, cause she's kind of like, she borders a little bit and maybe this is my perception. Uh, she borders a little bit on being political. Like mm-hmm. I know you have a Betsy DeVos. I don't know if you want to <laughs> do that in, in the DD voice, but I love, I love that you're like at a drag show and like, she comes like, out and she says, well, as my very good friend Betsy DeVos would say, good evening, pores. And I love that. It's yeah. just like a quick one, two, it hits. And you're bringing some political shit right. into a drag show that's, you know, we're all out at a bar drinking, hanging out, but you're also like, hey, this is what's happening. And like, do you have a plan to bring political into it? Or do you think everything's political? A lot of people are like, drag is politics, politics is drag. I do take that viewpoint. I also like to read the room before I bring it in. Because, you know, if, if it's like, a crowd of us queers, I'm just like, oh, I'll talk about whatever. Let's talk about this shit. But if I'm working with like a room full of tourists, I kind of have to like prod the room a little bit, take the temperature before I dive in. I'm not afraid of offending people. I have definitely said some very harsh political things in front of a room full of Republicans before. But what I do first is win them over. I make them fall in love with me and then I tell them how wrong they are. Which, you know, if that ain't, if that ain't the story, I don't know what is. Because I do think, especially with the current zeitgeist, we really do have to engage politically with our stage work, with our comedy, with our music, whatever it is, because this shit doesn't exist in a vacuum. I think, you know, I've been talking with people all summer about this, but, you know, I feel like a lot of us got the summertime sadness real bad this year, both a combination of it's hot as balls outside, but also in a lot of ways, it does feel a little end of the worldy some days. But what I have to keep reminding myself is that the world is always ending. <laughs> and uh, yeah, they were building underground bomb shelters, you know, 50 yeah, years ago. And yeah. they thought that was it. It was going to be over. Mm-hmm. And then it was Russia. And then it was North Korea. And now it's Russia again. And it's like, I know, I know shit's going to get bad. Like climate change is going to be, I can't even give words to it. I think about it all the time. But I'm also just like, I can do my part. But like, all I can do is there's this, I'm a big genre television nerd. I love sci-fi and fantasy. And there's this quote from um, Angel of the Series, the Buffy the Vampire Slayer spinoff, where it's like, if nothing matters, then all that matters is what we do. Oh. So I really try to approach it that way. We're like, yeah, nothing matters and the world is ending. But I'm going to keep trying yeah. to make things better if I can. Yeah, absolutely. If only for me, like, if even if it's just for me and the people around me, like, that's something. Well, why not? What else are we here for? You know? Right. Do you think there's a duty for performers to bring the the political into it or to kind of advocate for certain things? Like, do you think, do you feel any duty like whatsoever when you perform or is it just to fulfill yourself or engage an audience or? For me, there's a sense of duty for sure. I don't want to speak for everyone in the world because I know people have different approaches to things and I don't want to, you know, yuck anyone else's yum. Yeah. You know what I mean? But for me, I feel like there's a duty to engage with the world like let us have this hour of like expression and thought and queerness but also remember that you came in those doors and you're gonna have to go out them again and i don't want it you know especially for you know i can only speak for me you know as as a queer performer i don't want to live in a world where people can passively consume queer art and expression without thinking about the person that that's actually coming from like i want you to remember that i'm a real person yeah. I am not a car- like a cartoon that you are watching. Like the choices you make affect me. I, sometimes I have to get real harsh with these tourist audiences, you know. I uh, but I try to do it in that prodding, fun, playful way. But there's that undercurrent of like y'all fucked up. So what 
and it could be the same answer. What's been your the best heckle you've gotten and the worst heckle you've gotten? And like I said, they might be the same. It might be the best worst. Individual heckles really don't stick out to me. I think they just sort of... I've heard worse. <laughs> you know, the way I tend to handle hecklers, though, like if it's a drunk bachelorette, I just kind of like find the maid of honor. I'm like, can you handle that? Like, can you watch your friend? Because I don't want to have to make her cry. And it usually never has to go any further than that. Because all it takes is this six and a half foot woman with the microphone going, watch it. Yeah. Usually if the heckler's a man, I'll try the same approach at first. But usually they need a like a harsher, because, you know, heterosexual men, what I do is I stop the show. I go, everyone stop, stop, everyone stop. And I walk up to him with the microphone. I'm like, this man, this heterosexual man has something to say. And you know When a heterosexual man speaks, we all have to stop to listen. We all just have to stop and listen because what's going to come out of his mouth is more important anything, more important than anything the rest of us could say. So, sir, do you just, and I put the microphone in his place. Do you want to, do you want to, do you want to speak, speak on it? Do you want to say it? And usually just the public embarrassment, having a spotlight on him, having the mic in his face. He's just, you know, he shuts down. Because nothing to say. Yeah. So like, that's how I deal with hecklers. Individual hecklers don't really stand out to me. I, I can't give you like a, oh, this one really hurt my feelings because usually they don't. Yeah. I have the power in that room, you know. I really do in certain ways when you look at, you've read some of Judy Grand's work, you've read mm-hmm. your history of theater, you've got your queer history, so I'm not going to go to it in depth. But, you know, it's this idea of church as theater and theater as church. I'm the high priestess. This is my <laughs> ceremony. You're not going to disrupt my ode to the gods. How dare you? I like how you put the microphone. You're like, okay, well, if you're going to do it, say something fucking powerful. Mm-hmm. Like, say something that changes, you know, or is funnier or better than what we're all trying to do here. Mm-hmm. And they have nothing to say. They never do. <laughs> they, they, they want to bother and annoy you because they think it'll throw you off and it'll be funny. But then when you turn it around on them, they're like, oh, wait, I actually don't have anything important to say. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm no one. I, I'm just a person. And I was being rude, so let me stop. Yeah, it's a good way to shut them down. What are your like long term? And I'm not looking for like a business plan or anything. But, like, <laughs> like, what do you want? Like, if money wasn't an issue, and and you could just snap your fingers and go anywhere and have any type of performance that you want, would you? Do you want to write a book, a screenplay? Do you want to open your own club? Do you want to perform in Broadway? What is your ultimate like? Without like, remove all the possible barriers that are running through your head right now. Because I know I'm like, I would like to do this if only the. Forget about that. If money in the future were no object, I think I would just travel and make music where I could, whether it's working with songwriters or... One of my short term, we touched on this earlier, my first one woman shows in October, and I'm really excited by the the, the prospect of it. And I'd want to do more of that, but maybe more original work too once I get through this. Um, So what it is, let's talk about it. Yeah, I was just going to ask, how did it come about? How, like... So... (laughs) where's it at right now so here's where we are so the story of this show is in 1979 patty lapone is 30 years old she's playing evita on broadway she's you know from the first drama division of juilliard's drama program she's obviously the fast track to win the tony award because evita is in my opinion one of the most vocally demanding roles in the musical theater canon. These days, people are like, Andrew Lloyd Webber hates women. But if you look at the score for Evita, you're like, Andrew Lloyd Webber hates women. My God, that's difficult. But what would happen is she would do uh, the Saturday night show, which means she still had two shows to go on Sunday. And she'd get out of the Evita costume and she'd change her makeup really quick. And she'd put on white lady tux. And she'd run across town to this nightclub called Les Mouches, which is French for the flies. And around 1230 AM, she'd do an hour and a half long set. 
So she wouldn't get out of the club until two, three in the morning. And then she'd go do the Sunday matinee and she did this for 27 weeks. Wow. Yes. Half a year. I can't do math. Right. That's <laughs> more exact, than half a that's year. That's half a year. <laughs> and this was a big deal of a show. All the, you know, Manhattan glamorous people were going to that show. And finally, I guess just under 10 years ago, she and her music director at the time both realized they still had, because they'd record it on tapes. They could listen to it and be like, okay, so next week we've got to fix this. They realized they had enough tapes to put together an actual album. So there's a live album called Patti Lapone at Les Mouche. And she's just, this was before she was like Patti Lapone, Patti Lapone. This is when she was just like first being a Vita. And she's just so hungry for it. And you hear this just like, passion and nervousness and excitement in her voice because she's still figuring out who she is. Anyway, I'm going to recreate that concert at the Always Lounge on October 25th and 26th. Harlequin is producing it. Kate Kuhn will be the director. We're still, we're like in our final round of conversations picking out a musical director, but we're hoping we're going to have like the full four-piece band, knock on wood. But I think it's just going to be a really exciting project for me to like really dig into this woman who I've admired for a very long time and try to capture her spirit on stage. And it's also going to be Quite the vocal workout for me. It sounds intense. Because, you know, this was 1979, 1980, and there are so many... Because not just musical theater, she does disco, she does pop, she does rock. And you realize how many of these different songs were out at the same time. Where you're like, oh, like, one of the songs is... Is it Patti Smith, Because of the Night? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that song came out, like, a year before Evita was on Broadway. So she sings that song. Yeah, I'm so bad at timelines. Right. Like, really? I'm like, I thought that was a different time. It's it's exciting, and I'm excited to dig into it more. Are you going to add anything in between? It has some dialogue in between. Uh, we're still playing around with that idea, but it's definitely going to be an impersonation, for sure. I need to study her mannerisms and her Patti LuPone-isms. And, you know, this is just a workshop, too, because we're, we're cutting a couple of the songs just for time constraints. But this really is going to be like a workshop. Like, can we make this work? And if so, where can we shop it around so maybe we don't have to be here next summer? <laughs> that's that's my dream. Every I spent one week in San Francisco in mm-hmm. this August, and everyone's like, how was it? And I know talking about the weather is boring, but I was like, the weather was glorious. <sighs> like, leaving New Orleans in August is the best thing that anybody can do for their temperature and their mood and all of that. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how y'all do it with wigs. <laughs> don't even get me started. We are in my house right now. When uh, when I'm doing my makeup in the summer, probably about two hours before, because I only I don't have central. I have one window unit. I turn it all the way down to 68 on high, and I'm just like, make this apartment cold for me <laughs> while I put a face on. Which you know, that is one way I'm certainly not helping the environment, but uh, one does what one must <laughs> to give the world beauty. I suppose. The show must go on. The show must go on. <laughs> well, this has been really fun. I'm glad we yeah. had a chance to talk. Can you tell the people where they can find you, when Showstoppers is, where they can find you on social media, how people can connect with you? Sure. So my most regular gig is the shrimp oil at Mr. Gregory's, which if you haven't checked out, you should. It's like an upscale shrimp oil. I sing at you. It's like family still seating, so you're going to meet people you would have never met and break bread with them and have like a nice meal. I'm usually there Thursdays through Sundays. Showstoppers is usually the last Monday of the month at 9.30 at the Always Lounge. It's usually the last Monday of the month because I like it to be that nice, oh, it's Monday. All the people in the service industry are off work. Maybe we can like go to a show since we miss all the shows all the time. And sometimes it's successful to have it on that night. And sometimes it's a little crunchy, but uh, that is the nature of the beast. Where else can you catch me? I work with burlesque producers in this city, 
like Xena Zeitgeist and Bella Blue will book me to host the MC a show for them once a month, once every other month or so. And social media. And social media. Where else am I? Oh, so you can How find... How can they Facebook stalk you? I'm on Facebook as Didi Onassis. That is also my Instagram handle and my Twitter handle. And those are probably the best places to find me. And I will say Didi's Facebook is hilarious. I love all... Like, you post these memes that I'm, like, actually laughing out loud at work. I'm, and people I'm, are like, what? And I'm like, I can't say this at work, but it's funny. I, tr- I really do. Because, like, I do like to repost memes, but every now and then I post actual thoughts I have in my head. <laughs> And I do kind of workshop material on social media. Like, does this work well? Whether it's Facebook or Twitter or wherever it is, where it's just like, you know, does this joke actually work in the written form? And if so, how do I make it a spoken form? Because sometimes something flops and you got to go in a different direction. But uh, yeah, Didi Onassis on Facebook, it's two words there on Twitter and on Instagram. It's all one word. So have you ever thought about doing stand-up comedy? I got to ask. <laughs> I've thought about it, but I've never tried it. Let me answer it. You're you're like, I've got a plan. (laughs) (laughs) I I think everyone should try stand-up comedy. I think everyone should try karaoke. Those are two things I think everyone should do at least once in their life just to get up there on a stage and do these things and be vulnerable in those ways. Um, But you you go up and you don't do, like, not necessarily like a straight-up stand-up routine, but you go up and do Mm stand-up essentially in your show. So it has to be something that maybe just crossed your mind. Well, maybe I'll try Mm -hmm. it then. I would be nervous about actually having to plan a set instead of just being like, well, I'm going to go word vomit in my own show. Well, just be a heterosexual man and don't plan a set and just show up and then yell at everybody for not knowing what's funny. I've spent 32 (laughs) years not being a heterosexual man and I'm not going to start now. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much, Didi. Thanks, Amanda. Thank you for having me. All right.
Didi Onassis, our guest, for sharing her world with you. Special thank you to Ryan Golub and Jessa Fallon for your help producing and editing this podcast. Find us on social media. Interact with us. Queer to My Heart at Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, near and queer to my heart. Say hello. We'd love to hear from you. You can catch Greetings from Queer Mountain, the live queer storytelling show in New York City, Oakland, New Orleans, Austin, and Baton Rouge. Thank y'all. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm, HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 